the the reality is that when our three fundamental human needs, which we talked about in our pre, one of our previous uh, self-determination theory episodes, um, when those three needs are getting met, our motivation goes up. And when those three things are going unmet, our motivation goes down or our ability to motivate goes down, our capacity for motivation. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. When we mm. our needs are met, our capacity for motivation is high. Mm. And when they're going unmet, their capacity is low. And like you said, when our capacity is low, we start to not do well in our lives and then we feel worse and it creates the vicious cycle and Mm. the good news about vicious cycles is that when they get reversed they turn into virtuous cycles Mm. because you start to get the needs met you're feeling better you're starting to get more motivated and all of a sudden you're seeing yourself be more successful and that success feels good and then it leads to more motivation which Mm. leads to more success and that creates the opposite so it's it's really, really dramatic when that goes from a vicious cycle to a virtuous one. It, it, it when it gets turned around, it, like it's obvious. Yeah. And really awesome. Yeah. Awesome to see. For most of human history, people have parented the way their parents and grandparents did, with culture providing the cues. We call this Parenting 1.0. For various reasons, parents began to question these approaches and we started turning more and more to so-called experts to learn to parent. This was the beginning of Parenting 2.0. This allowed for some real advances, but also a lot of confusion as we got further and further away from our natural parenting instincts. Parenting 3.0 is about reclaiming those instincts and integrating them with our current understanding of child development. It brings together the wisdom of the past with the best scientific and psychological research of the present. Parenting 3.0 isn't a fad or a quick fix. It's a set of principles that allows us to engage with our kids and life from an informed and empowered place. I'm Jai Flicker. And I'm Deb Blum. Welcome Welcome to to Parenting Parenting 3.0. Hi, everybody. It's great to be back talking about self-determination theory again. This is part three, and we're going to talk today about motivation. And last week, we also talked about motivation. In that one, we talked a lot about really applying motivation to real life. We actually went through an example with me being coached by Jai. It was kind of just happened that way. And then um, we're going to talk today about the the underlying framework of motivation, understanding motivation in a more theoretical way so that we can, I guess, I think it would just be helpful to be able to understand it so that we can apply it to our life in a more skillful way. For sure. Yeah. So um, yeah, I don't know. I I was just going to say for me, what's been really cool about understanding this better is um, I realized that I had a lot of things that I like ways that I looked at motivation that were not only wrong. And and we talked about that last time, but even just like a misunderstanding about um, intrinsic and extrinsic motivation and like applying a a layer of judgment 
on some on on one being better than the other mm. or certain ways being better than the other um and it's helped me to feel a lot more um spacious maybe around the terminology hmm. so that i feel like i can i can hear it better and i can understand it better and and it i think it directly applied to my um my kids yeah yeah so i think i i I took the pressure off of myself um, on the idea that that they need to be intrinsically motivated to do everything yeah. or else it yeah. was bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think this kind of, in keeping with parenting 1.0 and 2.0, I feel like parenting 1.0 often will, because it's sort of traditional, right? It's like, there's the, like the most obvious form of of motivation is sort of punishment and reward that's very extrinsic and um and so i think you know this concept of like intrinsic motivation is is sort of a parenting 2.0 concept that can get taken to such extremes that then it's like creating all this stress for us of like, oh my gosh, we have to have perfectly intrinsically motivated kids. <laughs> and and so I think the parenting 3.0 integration point is um is understanding the science behind this. And and part of what the science reveals as as you're alluding to is that that extrinsic motivation is not only okay, it's it's necessary. And mm-hmm. in some ways it's more effective and in some situations in particular, it's more um, beneficial and more effective than intrinsic motivation. And, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about that. It, it, that was really eye-opening for me as well. Yeah. Um, but we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Yeah. But but I think the fact that you, you before we, we talked about the, this uh, continuum from self-determination theory, that you had a, a sense of intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation is indicative of the fact that this information has started to permeate our culture. Right. Um, For me, I first got exposed to it through a book called Drive by Daniel Pink. And he does a really good job of talking about this distinction between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And I went back and looked at that book and um, it turns out it's like almost exclusive exclusively based on um, the researchers, DC and Ryan, who came up with self-determination theory. I mean, it's like, mm. it's basically a translation of it yeah, well, into popular culture. Right. Well, you have said that about a lot of things, right? That there have been a lot of things that you have seen where it, it, like, so once we understand self-determination theory, we begin to see that it's all over the place. I've seen people write articles where... Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily use the same language, but they're right. still using the same three needs. Yep. And yeah, yep. so I see that too. And, and didn't you say one of the ones that I just thought about was the Jessica... Uh, gift of failure? Yeah, the gift of failure. Yeah, the gift of failure. Yep. And that's another one. I think oh, it's just amazing yeah, to completely. see. Completely. It's yeah. like 100% based on mm, on that, the yeah. three needs. It yeah. was, yeah. I didn't mean to digress. I just no, was no, thinking about all how over the place. we start it's to all see it everywhere. Yeah, once it's we... really influential. Um, so, um, where to begin? 
Oh. oh my goodness. I think I think one of the things that that comes to mind is just a, a an idea that could to, to can help get us rolling here is and and this actually comes from Edward DC who who is one of the co-founders of the theory. Um, I was watching a, a presentation, a YouTube video of his, of his own on on self-determination theory and and when he talked about motivation what he said was a, a lot of people when they think about motivation, think of it as either something you have or you don't. It's like you're either really motivated. Yeah. It's it's just a matter of degree. You're somewhat motivated or not very motivated. Mm-hmm. And I think that does sort of capture a common view of, of motivation. But what they what they've done, which is so amazing, is they've identified several different types of motivation. Mm. So it's not just it's in, and they've created this continuum of these different kinds of motivation. It's not just whether you're motivated or not. It's in what way are you being motivated? Mm. So like the distinction between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation is maybe the first and simplest distinction to, to be made and to understand, but there are more gradations and, and knowing these differences has been really helpful for me. I guess, I guess, like you said, it's helpful for me personally, and it's helpful for me in supporting and helping to motivate others. Yeah. So before I dive in, do you have any thoughts that you want to share? I think that, yeah, no, I I just think I'm actually excited. I've heard this from you before in bits and pieces, so I'm excited to hear you explain it in a more comprehensive way. And I feel like I'm always learning. Yeah, I think for me these days, a big piece of it is motivating myself. And so as we knew in the last, you know, on the last um, episode, we talked about that. And, and, but I'm, you know, I'm really curious about both motivating myself and motivating others. So I yeah. feel a lot cool. of curiosity. Yes. Good. Okay, perfect. So, okay, let's dive in. So, um, so we'll have to link to an image of this because it's, it's helpful to look at. That's but, a great idea. But, but I'll describe it in as clear and simple a way as possible. So the continuation uh, sorry, the continuum goes from um, on the one end, on the far left, it, it's it's a motivation, meaning not motivated at all. And then on the far right is intrinsic motivation, which is basically we're doing it because we want to. It feels fun or good or we're just like, we just have motivation. We just feel like doing it. It's, it's not coming from outside of us at all. We're not feeling pressured. We're not feeling coerced. We're not feeling bribed. We're not feeling, you know, pushed. We're just doing it. It's it's for the sheer joy of it. And, um, so that's sort of, those are sort of the bookends. And then in the middle is this vast territory of extrinsic motivation. And, and we'll, we'll probably spend the most time talking about that because, um, because there are sort of these four different types of extrinsic motivation that they talk about and um so but before before going into that i, I do want to just clarify a little bit these bookends so from a motivation on the one side to in, intrinsic motivation on the other 
And, and a motivation is basically, you know, when you're basically so depressed that you just can't even get yourself out of bed. I mean, that would be maybe the most extreme version of it, or you're just, um, maybe you're still forcing yourself to do something, but you are so against what you're doing that you're a hundred percent against it, but you're still doing it. And you're, you're just going through the motions, but hating it. Those, those would fall in that far. Like you're, you're just so not being autonomous. You're not self-endorsed at all. Right. So that's the far side of that. So do you believe, I have a few thoughts on this. Yeah, please. One is, so I, I feel like there are a decent number of teenagers who their parents might characterize them as a motivated. Yeah. Would you say that that's accurate? Yeah. I mean, if they had the language, you mean? Yeah, right, right, right. They, I mean, I mean I after think, learning I this. I think, yeah, yeah. What I was, where I went was like, this is, and I think we did touch on this last time, is that a lot of times the word is lazy. That's what my second question okay. was going okay. to be, was yeah. is that what people say is when there's someone's like, oh, they're so lazy, they don't ever want to do anything, they don't get their homework done, they won't clean their room, whatever. Yeah. I think, I mean, usually when, when you ask a kid who has been identified as lazy and sometimes who self-identifies as lazy, right? They'll come in and they go, I don't know, I'm just so lazy. It's like, they're not proud of that. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's like a negative connotation, but it's not just that they're like, Ugh, that's a negative label, I don't like it. It's like, they don't want to be that way. They don't want to be that way. So you have to ask, you know, if they're, like if somebody's like, I am so lazy and I love it. That's different. But I've, I don't think I've ever heard a teen say that. They're right. just like, they're like, I just can't get myself to do the thing. I know. So this is, this is you know, this really important overarching, I think, misconception is that motivation is something that we have kind of almost, maybe not perfect control over, but like an 80% control over. You know, it's not a hundred percent, but it's like for the most part, we just, if we want to do something, we motivate ourselves to do it. And if, and if we don't, we don't, and that's it. But, but it's just, it turns out it's not like that. So, so it's a lot more, it's a lot more, we're, we're subject, we're the subjects of our own motivation or lack thereof, not the master. Yes. And it feels like I want, I guess what I was um, because my question, my next question was going to be, is yeah. that a characterization of, about the laziness characterization? And it, I felt like I wanted to just pour in a little bit of compassion mm-hmm. for people who feel this way, you know, who like kids as an example, you know, like a child, but even for us as adults, like when we're in that place of a motivation um, and we might be calling ourselves lazy or calling our kids lazy or or, their, or our kids are calling themselves lazy, that it isn't usually where we want to be and that, generally speaking, we don't know how to get out of it. And that um, I remember an article that I read that I 
really hope I can find. And I know I shared it with you and I also shared it with the principal of our school. And I remember he pulled a quote out of it and kept it at the bottom of hmm. his of his email hmm. um, signature. And it was really the question. It said something like there are no lazy students. Yeah. And that it's all there's always something that's behind it. Exactly. And I just wanted to make a call out to um, to trauma and mm, to, you know, mm. like kids who aren't being aren't, you know, eating. They didn't they didn't get fed well in the morning or kids who have had experiences that uh, that make it hard for them to study or even kids with diagnoses like as someone who has, you know, ADHD or something in those contexts. It's like there really is something that needs to be explored, that there's something deeper. Yeah. That is a reason why they're not doing what we wish they would do, would do. Or they wish they would do Or what themselves. they wish they would do, yeah, right? Exactly. And usually, you know, it is self-fulfilling. Like I see one thing in the description the it, on the chart, and it oh, yeah. talks about um, incompetence and lack of control, you know? And I think it's a really, it must be a very hard place. I mean, I it's not that I've never experienced demotivation, but when I'm thinking about it in the context of teens, I just feel so much compassion for how hard it must be for them to feel they can't really control themselves to do, they can't do what they want to be doing. And they're, and it's a self-fulfilling um, cycle of then they feel incompetent and the more incompetent they feel, the less they feel they can do. Yeah. And then it's just it's a, a vicious cycle. Yeah, it's a vicious cycle. So I just wanted to bring a little bit of care to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. And I can feel it for adults too, but there's a way that I can feel it for our teenagers or our like, or like I guess it really starts when they start having to have more homework and when the expectations increase, which might start as early as elementary school for some kids, you know, the pressure. Yeah. 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 yeah that's, it's, it's so important. It's like, um, when I tell students that a, nobody really, almost nobody understands motivation. I'm telling them that about them, but I'm also telling them about the people around them who might be trying to motivate them, but incorrectly, whether it's parents or teachers or coaches or whatever, because they're feeling, the kids are feeling like they're letting themselves down and, but they're, they're also feeling like they're letting down whoever's trying to motivate them. They're like, what is wrong with me? Right. Right. And so that's where this, this sense of incompetence comes in, but it's also, um, diminishing their sense of relatedness right they feel ashamed so they're like not living up to the expectations and um and as we'll get into they're not feeling autonomous because they're trying to force themselves to just do whatever the thing is yeah and so the the reality is that when our three fundamental human needs which we talked about in our one of our previous uh, self-determination theory episodes um, when those three needs are getting met our l motivation goes up and when those three things are going unmet our motivation goes down or our ability to motivate goes down our capacity for motivation maybe that's a better way of saying it when we mm. our needs are met our capacity for motivation is high mm. and when they're going unmet their capacity is low and like you said when our capacity is low, we start to not do well in our lives and then we feel worse and it creates the vicious cycle. And mm. the good news about vicious cycles is that when they get reversed, they turn into virtuous 
cycles Hmm. because you start to get the needs met. You're feeling better. You're starting to get more motivated. And all of a sudden you're seeing yourself be more successful and that success feels good. And then it leads to more motivation, which Mm -hmm. leads to more success. And that creates the opposite. So it's, it's really, really dramatic when that goes from a vicious cycle to a virtuous one. It, 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 when it gets turned around, like it's obvious Yeah. and really awesome. Yeah. Awesome to see. So I have one little bit, I know we want to move on to probably intrinsic motivation, but I do want to stay for one moment on this because it makes me think about, um, episode seven where we talked about triggers and and why our children what might be behind our children's behaviors and we also talked about um, when our kids are being reactive or emotional like something's going on maybe they're having a tantrum Um, but in any way we talked about even teens like a teen being emotional and how we often come in and we try to meet them in their um thinking brain right and so you if you want to understand that better go back and listen to episode seven it's but a good one. it's a good one uh, but when that happens what we end up is with a disconnect because our child our teenagers emotion in their emotional center of their brain and we're trying to meet them with reason and thinking and trying to make sense of it or somehow trying to fix them or make it better and one of the thoughts that comes to my mind um is this idea that when a child is uh, when a, a child is not is a motivated is in a motivation and they and we're thinking they're lazy and you know we have all these labels and these thoughts and they're not feeling that great about themselves that one of the great entry points is relatedness right because we can't really make them feel more competent we, they have to do that for themselves we can create the conditions for that but we can't really make them feel more um, competent and often as parents we're afraid to give them too much autonomy because we're afraid they're going to just, like if we say, Abuse like it. have at it, go ahead and yeah. just do what you want to do, that they're not going to do their homework or they're not going to do the thing that we wanted them to do. And so there's that can be a difficult entry point. So the entry point can be in relatedness. Mm-hmm. And it makes me want to share an example of when, um, you know, I have heard people many, many times do this, where a child says something like, I'm so stupid. Yeah. And the parent it's so painful to hear our kids say that so we just don't we and we don't believe it we see them we see their potential we see how bright they are and we see how capable they are and we're just like why can't you see it and so the way we handle it is now a person doesn't say i'm so stupid from the thinking part of their brain they say i'm so stupid from the emotional part of their brain they're they're feeling defeated and they're just they don't know what else to say and it's actually in some ways a way of just being like well i can't do it i I mean i don't know why i can't do it i'm so stupid i can't motivate myself i can't do this you know and it's this lack of competence and but what the the challenge is for a parent to resist trying to remind them that they're not stupid and that doesn't mean that we all we don't have to jump on board right we don't have to say like you yeah you are pretty stupid like (laughs) it's probably not gonna be very helpful but but there we also the but it's but i have known parents to say things like we don't say stupid in our house or 
I'm not going to let people that let you be critical of yourself or that you are not stupid. You know, you are one of the brightest kids I know. And the problem is that that is actually super incongruent with, with what they're feeling in the moment. They may even know they're actually really right. They might, might even know that, but in that moment, they feel stupid. And that's the thing that's different is the feeling versus the, the knowing, you know, and if they're in their emotional center of their brain, what they're really, what the relate, the, the invitation and the, and the part of relatedness would be to imagine either physically, emotionally, all of the above, kind of like you're coming up beside them and you're just able to say, something that meets them where they are and it could be something like you're feeling really stupid right now like I, I'm, I hear you I hear that you're feeling that way right now or it might just be like wow like this is hard this is really hard or I just I just see you and I just want to be with you like you know sometimes I've had times where I feel really stupid and I feel like I can't get something and I cannot motivate myself and I, I really do know what that feels like. And so I'm just going to like hang with you. Yeah. And just kind of like, we're going to struggle through this together. Yeah. The one thing I want you to know is you're not alone. I'm yes. with you and yes. I'm by your side yes. and we're going to figure this out. And we're not going to always have to figure it out by you having to do better and me push you harder. We're going to figure this one out by me just being on your team. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, you're, 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 you're um, intuitively kind of, feeling into uh, what was very eye-opening for me, another gem that came out of the same um, theoretical framework mm. around the, the basically when, when somebody, especially if you, it's, it's, we can think of ourselves or we can think of a teen. I'm thinking of, of teens. When I, when I am working with students and they are struggling to motivate, it turns out that there's really two main proximal causes meaning like if somebody's just super depressed like really really mm -hmm. depressed then they're they're going to be globally amotivated to mm -hmm. do anything right but if if somebody's sort of in a more um usual sort of mode and they're going along but they're just really struggling to motivate on this particular assignment for example or this particular activity, there's usually two specific things to look at. And one is, um, has to do with if the activity seems pointless or relevant. Mm. Yeah. Okay. That's, and kids talk about this all the time. They go, what's the point of this? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, right. It's hard. If, if you really get it, you go, God, this is going to be so useful. Well, there, there's the motivation right there. I mean, and then, um, but, and if you go, I'm going to spend all this time for what? For no good reason. It's just a waste of time. The motivation drains out. So this one makes, I think, tons of sense. And actually the second mm -hmm. one does too. The other one has to do with, like you said, competence. So even if you have that first, uh, that first, what would I say? Category met if you're feeling like, yeah, this is important, it's, it is worthwhile, but there is literally no possible way that I will be able to accomplish the, the necessary task, then you go back to, well, why bother? Right. Why even start? Right. 
what's the point? I can't mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. So, so those are really the two things. Mm-hmm. Does it matter? And can I do it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if and and I've used that framework so many times with kids. If if they're not feeling motivated, I go here. I'll tell them. I say here are the two things. Is are either or both of those in play here? And I've had a hundred percent success rate in at least identifying the situation. It's always one or the other mm-hmm. or both of them. A hundred percent of the time. Mm-hmm. That's amazing that it is. It's it's it is amazing that it's really it's it's like this is a thing. This is why I love this framework. Is that it's like that's pretty simple and and it and it, and it confirms some very intuitive senses about you know my my own self and my own levels of motivation in different contexts. But until you kind of have a team of researchers go through and identify it and name it and go, these are the two things. It sort of just is ambiguous. It's kind of vague. It's kind of like, I don't know. Sometimes I feel motivated. Sometimes, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I don't. I know. Yeah. And so when you ask that question, to me, that's bringing in relatedness. It's like a, it's like what what I had said was sort of just being like, hey, I'm with you. That yeah, And that's super that's important. Very but there's also a relatedness to being even able to like say as a parent to a child to be able to actually say ask those questions because then and even even the part where you said like listen i just want you to know like it's actually not that uncommon you know to to be feeling this way a lot of people don't understand motivation here are some of my thoughts on it and if they feel like they're better understood by us by ask, asking the question now do you actually explicitly ask the question like is you yeah. know here here are the two yes, things and you say like you know is it which one relevant? is it yeah. or, or yeah, is yeah, it yeah. both i think it you know to use this you know relatedness autonomy and competence framework i think it also supports competence because as soon as you start to get these distinctions for once like as soon as a teen gets a, this distinction for him or herself they're feeling already more and empowered for sure to to to, to make at least make yeah. sense of this thing that's just kind of haunting them and hanging over them and yeah. and hampering them the three h's <laughs> <laughs> you know the three h's yes. the three oh h's. god the three oh h's. my god yeah. <laughs> but anyway so so yeah so so th- i think it does it does because because then they go hmm well yeah, no, they might go, well, it is kind of annoying, but I, I get why it's important. It's just like, I, I really don't, I really don't think I, I, I am capable of doing it. And so then, then it, it totally, it totally focuses the conversation. Yes. Cause then it's like, okay, well, let's talk about that. What, like, what's like, what's going on and what, 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 you know, and I start to think, well, what can I do to scaffold their experience so that they can do it in bite-sized pieces so that they can you know sometimes it's that they really do have um a sort of a an underdeveloped side and so they're just coming up against the growth edge and other times it's it's not that at all they have plenty of capacity and they're just really intimidated Mm. i mean it's like you don't know until you get in there and kind of start having the open conversation so so that's that's it can be really really helpful and 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 the interesting thing is is because when the needs are being met the motivation level goes up 
there's sort of a double positive. This is part of that virtuous circle that, that gets created is like all of a sudden they're not just, they're, they're both, we're helping diffuse the very specific hindrance and their needs are getting met. And so there's more just sort of general motivational energy available to them. And they, they, they yeah. so you, you kind of are reducing the barriers at the same time as you're increasing the capacity. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they're like taking the ankle weights off. And they're like, man, I feel like I'm running so fast. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. I really, I really see that. And I can really see how um, that approach does work on all three levels of the needs, you know, because they're now feeling more competent. They feel connected to you because you actually helped them to see something about themselves that they didn't know. And then, and you're also like giving them inner inf- in, in like inside information. Like I always feel like, yes. you know, when ki- like especially totally. teenagers, but yeah. even all of us, when we start to learn about ourselves and we get it, we're like, whoa, like yeah. I'm on the, I'm like on the inner <laughs> circle of like, who knows this stuff? This is cool <laughs> stuff, you know? Yes. And so there's a sense of, you know, the relatedness, the, the competence, and then the autonomy is really them starting to say, as you said, they might, might be like, well, I do sort of understand why it's important, but I'm just not feeling like I can, you know, do, I can do it. And then as your scaffolding or whatever, providing, you know access to more resources then they can actually take the take charge yes exactly i I think i was thinking about this right as you were saying it really works with all three needs and and what came to my mind was just that i think a pitfall a common pitfall that actually many parents and educators and coaches fall into um that that sort of undermines the whole motivational process is focusing so much on the behavior and the outcome. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, if the thing is to just do this particular assignment, it's like, it's like, well, um, come on, you can, they're just talking about doing it. Like, come on, you, you know, you'll feel so much better after it's done and it's a good grade and trying to make the rationale. But if, but, but, then the the students so this 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 is these are all extrinsic motivators we'll talk more about that in a second but the student is then trying to push themselves right to 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 do the thing Mm -hmm. and i think what we're talking about here is we're like by removing barriers removing those obstacles and increasing the uh, sort of global motivational capacity it puts them in a place where they are able to choose to do it Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean they automatically will or should or must it's just that they're actually capable of it Mm -hmm. and and then i think it's so so to be fully autonomy supportive it's like helpful to resist the urge to to nudge them in the direction it's like to trust and this 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 is i think a challenge for a lot of people is to trust that if i like empower this person to have the capacity the motivation motivational capacity to choose it that they most likely will Mm -hmm. and and really kind of sort of resisting the temptation to step in and kind of intervene or Mm -hmm. or or you know, force that choice on them. 
it's that's that's how you meet all three needs and the and the beautiful thing about it is that it then even further increases it, it meets that that third need and so it further increases their overall motivational capacity makes it even more possible for them to make that choice confidently because they're now they're feeling so resourced i mean if you think about the 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 one of the two things that keeps people from being motivated in the first place is not feeling like they have the capacity to achieve the goal. Right. And the, so the more resource someone has, the more it's that, that um, taking on that challenge is going to seem like an opportunity to demonstrate their confidence. Right. And so there's a very strong natural motivator, intrinsic motivator built-in motivator to to actually want to take on that challenge and to mm. and to engage and grapple with it and to like get it done and and all for all those reasons that we could articulate but letting them kind of get to the point where they're so feeling so well resourced that they choose it is is the ideal mm. so i think about a parent yeah and i think about you are you as an educator have a tremendous amount of competence in the area of their their um, academics right you know so you know how to resource you know how to help you know how to scaffold you know how to do all those things and so a lot of parents that wouldn't be as available to them to go through to feel the comp they would not the parent would not be feeling competence in that area i know that i don't and so one of my my thoughts is that and I would love to know if you would agree with me on this, that if I were to simplify this and I were to just think about like a parent that if a parent could do two things, so, and I have two things because they're two specific things in my mind, on my mind. Um, I would say that the first thing they could do is to, before they even talk to their child, spend a few minutes breathing and regulating their own nervous systems and sort of detaching from the outcome piece of it and the debate, the behavior piece of it. So uh, doing what they can do to come to the place of making the relationship, even if just for those 10 minutes that you're going to be in their room or whatever it is, or one minute, that a regulated nervous system and a relational approach if that's all that you can do because you don't feel you're capable of maybe even you don't understand motivation enough to ask the right questions or you don't feel like you understand this the the, the subject enough to help them um but you do know your child and you do have a relationship with your child and so i that's my own my own gut says like if this were me and I were needing to go, and I'm going to practice this. I'm excited to practice it. Um, I might forget the specific questions. I, those two categories, I might forget them. But what I do know is that I can, before I go in, I can do the best I can to regulate my nervous system as much as possible, which means I breathe, which means I need to detach a little bit from my um, out the, the idea that there's a certain outcome and that I need to prioritize a relationship. All of those things can get me into a good state of mind so that when I do enter and I want to have this conversation with my kiddo, that they don't feel 
the energy of me sort of co- like a coercion or like an energy of me wanting that or judgment why are you just doing your damn homework exactly and so then i come in with the intention of just being curious and understanding and wanting to be the person that sort of it's like um we get fortified by relationships you know we get fortified so like if if you can't teach them certain skills or give them other resources, what we can resource them with is the sense of a full cup, yeah, and being and feeling our ta- the attachment energy, and feeling connected and feeling less alone, yeah. And that's why sometimes I think that those statements, like something like "Yeah, like you know what," I actually do remember what it's like when I was in school, or even just last week, I had to write something for work, and I was like sitting at my computer, kind of paralyzed and. You know, and I just wanted you to know that it's not, I do, I do get it. I actually have been there. And, Mm. you know, for them to feel that sense of that, they get to then at least have a little bit of the cloak of the pressure and the cloak of like the, like any stories they have in their head about like not being good enough or they're alone and no one else is dealing with except for me. They get to go, oh, oh, sheesh. And it might just free up a little bit of capacity for them to be able to think more clearly, to look at the problem more clearly, to sometimes it's just us being there and they just say, well, they don't, they don't even need us to say a thing. They just need to say, I do know I need to do it. I'm kind of annoyed. I really want to go for a mountain bike ride and, you know, whatever. And they sure, get to just sure. sort of like process it out loud. So it, that's from for me because I, I sometimes can get intimidated by having to remember too many things to ask or through too yes. many steps in yes. something. Yes. And so if I just keep reminding us that ultimately it's about, you know, us t- doing our own work and connecting relationally, if if that can be the like the, the guiding light for people, that yeah. probably actually is going to be a massive step in the right direction I for totally our children. Agree. So I feel like we're going to run out of time here if we don't sort of dive in to then a little bit more theory so i have a yes yeah and i have will you be going into intrinsic or into extrinsic i think it i think extrinsic i mean i mean the the i actually i'll just touch on intrinsic and then extrinsic because there's not so much to say about intrinsic because because it's sort of like when it's there it's obvious and oftentimes it's like you know parents are kind of like sometimes like at the top of the show we talked about how it can be an ideal that we're striving for but we can also see it as like oh it's just what the the things they want to do hang out with friends play video games go on social media spend, you know whatever whatever and so then intrinsic motivation can also be seen as a negative and and so but but regardless um there's not as much to say about it because when it's happening it's just sort of effortless Mm -hmm. so yeah and the only thing i would say to it is that once i understood this better i did actually um find myself being more positive about the places where my kids were intrinsically motivated so like when they were playing video games Mm. like actually appreciating like isn't that really cool that you're so intrinsically motivated to do that and i would actually call it out and say are there other things that you're intrinsically motivated to do like that? Or wouldn't it be cool if you could find some other things that feel that good, that you just want to do that, you know? Yeah. And uh, and kind of, I think it goes back to, again, like feeling when you have the language, when a 
when someone has a language around motivation and they understand the difference between when they're intrinsically motivated and they're not at a minimum that it's just it's just good information yeah yeah um i i guess i can add one thing about it which is mm -hmm. that that in in the spirit of what you just said it's like you know if we can get to a point where where we are so kind of feeling crushed that we don't feel any intrinsic motivation for anything mm -hmm. and that's that's definitely not a that's that's starting to be depressed and that's definitely not a good place to be and so i think it's important that we do honor intrinsic motivation and say hey that's like life force moving through us mm -hmm. i think i think there's a an important distinction between intrinsic motivation and say like addiction yes those are not the same things intrinsic motivation is highly autonomous this is the distinction highly autonomous it's like i'm choosing to do it i'm not feeling compelled or you know even inwardly compelled to do it and addiction is is you know you can fight it and fight it and fight it and still end up doing it and that's that's not autonomous and this right. maybe is a good segue into the gradations of external or extrinsic motivation because because um there's different forms of it where we're either more or less aligned with that extrinsic motivation and when we're more aligned with it it's a lot more positive and when we're yeah. less aligned with it it's more negative and has more negative side effects yeah, I, I think that's great. And I'm having this um, this thought. And the thought is this. The thought is that we stop now and we call this laziness. And then we do next week, we go into extrinsic motivation in a whole episode. There's enough there. I think there's enough there. And I think that the... Um, you know, I, I think that actually in some ways intrinsic motivation and this idea of a motivation or laziness are kind of linked, you know, because they're they're sort of there's sort of two ends of the spectrum and they are um, there's this way that I also think that we can have like a motivation in some areas of our life and then intrinsic motivation in other areas of our life. So, you know, you might be a motivated as it relates to your academics and you might be highly motivated when it comes to being with your friends, intrinsically motivated when you're with your friends and when you're doing playing video games, for example. And, um, and I also can imagine that if a person were on the far, far end of a motivation, like you said, someone who's like very depressed and they're not doing anything, if they're just intrinsically motivated to eat, that's actually awesome on that day. You know what I mean? Like, so we can see that like, there's this way that by, um, where intrinsic motivation can be so protective for people because it's like you're if you're feeling motivation in all areas of your life but all you but you feel highly motivated intrinsically on that day to get up walk outside and sit in the sun that might be the the beginning of you starting to feel some more hope in your life and you know to not feel yes. so extreme on the other end so there's this way that those two polarities kind of can go together um and then there's that whole like gray in the middle that we want to talk about about extrinsic motivation and it seems like it would be worthy of a longer oh, discussion uh, yeah so this two-part series has turned into a four-part series that's what happens that's what happens <laughs> i mean this is such rich stuff 
It's so important. And actually, had I thought about this even more, I probably would have thought this is a good idea to talk about yeah. this as in the context of laziness, because I think that people really want to understand laziness. Yes. Yeah. What sure. we call laziness. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, in that case, we will save talking about extrinsic motivation um, for next week. Yeah. And what I will say about it by way of a teaser is that punishments and rewards are the most common forms of it. And the problem is not that punishments and rewards don't work. Mm. The problem is that they do work. Mm. And so we're tempted to use them and, but we don't, we don't, without this framework we it's very hard to understand why they end up having some really counterproductive side effects mm -hmm. over the long term mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. problematic really well so problematic mm -hmm. oh god it's oh, just this is please i beg of you tune in next week <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just to understand this one thing, why that's so problematic. And then if you, if you, once you understand how problematic it is, if you still want to use it, at least you're doing so from an informed position Yeah. and you can choose that and see. And then when the, when the negative repercussions come, you'll be more able to connect them. So you go, okay, yeah. Was that worth it? Mm -hmm. But, but if you don't have the framework, it's very hard to connect the the initial motivational strategy with the negative reaction yeah. or outcome or side effect and so then it's it's hard to then course correct so that's my teaser all right well, that's a good teaser okay. i think that's great okay so next time extrinsic yep. motivation yep. talking about rewards punishments. punishments it's a really great topic and um so we'll wrap it up now yeah and uh, for anyone who hasn't already, please do subscribe. I think that it is the best way to get our uh, every episode as it drops. Definitely. And um, please also feel free to rate and, and review and to share with anyone else who might get some value out of these conversations. Yes. Okay. And that's it for today. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.